Good morning. Go ahead and open your Bibles with me, if you will, to the book of Acts, chapter 4. And as you do, I want to ask you to consider a, a difficult question. Consider with me for a moment, if you will, a scenario where you or you personally are, are threatened with imprisonment or even death if you continue to speak the name of Christ. If you continue to, to speak the truths of the gospel, you're either going to be imprisoned or you're, you are going to be killed. What do you do? How do you respond to that threat? How do you think you would respond? And I'll admit that it's not a particularly fair question, especially at, at this point in our life, living in this particular cultural context, as, as neither are in immediate or probable threat within our particular culture at this time. Thus, if we're, if we're being honest, it's next to impossible for us to provide a a, a true answer to such an unlikely probability, isn't it? It's hard to know how we'd actually respond unless we're pressed face-to-face -face with the actual decision or if the decision itself or the possibility was, was real. We can sit here all day long and say, well, I, I would do this and I would do that, but would we really? But now when we consider our, our present context, what is real? What is a, a real and present danger that many face within our culture as Christians today? That many of you face today as Christians? Is it the threat of losing your job? If you're, if you're persistent in, in speaking of Christ, speaking of the gospel, calling people, calling your co-workers who you are in and around every single day, if you're calling them to repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ as their only hope in life and in death, even if you're doing that in the most loving and compassionate of ways, depending on where you work, it could end up costing you your, your job. And that's no small thing. That's how you provide for your family. But employer says, you can't do that here. You can't speak these things here. And you're left with a choice, aren't you? You know, another real consequence we may experience and will experience for faithfully speaking Christ and the gospel within our culture is, is some form of social isolation. You may have already experienced this or be experiencing this. And social isolation could come from family. It could come from friends. It could come from colleagues, uh, whomever. And again, this itself is not a, a small thing. But regardless of the, of the threat level, the question is, what has been and what is your response to such threats? Are you speaking or are you silent? And in the midst of such threats, where do you find yourself turning for help? 
if at all. Let's just say that the threat level did elevate. And it did elevate to the level of imprisonment or death. Where do you think you would turn for help? What do you think would be the overwhelming desire of your heart in that moment faced with that choice? And then in answering that particular question, just consider what the overwhelming of your desire of your heart is now in this moment. What is the overwhelming desire of your heart? What do you long for above all things? And these are just uh, some of the questions I want us to consider this morning as, as we pick back up in Acts chapter 4 with Peter and John having been arrested for what? For speaking the name of Christ. Arrested for proclaiming the gospel and calling people to repent and believe. And they have subsequently been what? They've been threatened by the highest authorities in their culture to stop. And if they don't stop, well, the consequence is likely either further imprisonment or death. And what I want us to see this morning is, one, how, how they respond. Two, I want to see where do they turn to for help. And, and three, what remains their overwhelming desire in, in the midst of these threats? And not just the overwhelming desire of Peter and John, but of the church. So let's pick up in Acts chapter 4, verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage? Are the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So after being threatened by the chief priests and the religious leaders not to speak any more in the name of, of Jesus, and remember, these are the same religious leaders who conspired to have Jesus crucified. So their threat packs a pretty good punch when it comes. But after this threat, Peter and John return back to the other apostles, back to the, the young, very young, but growing church. And they tell them, along with everything they hear, they tell them what has been 
levied against him, the threats that have been levied against him. The threat being, stop teaching and preaching in Jesus' name or else. And when the church heard about this threat, how did they respond? Verse 24, they lifted their voices together to God. And they prayed. So the very first thing they did after hearing this very real threat is they went to the Lord in prayer. And so let me ask you, let me ask us collectively as a church, would that be or is that our first inclination? To turn to the Lord in prayer in such a time as this? Or, if we're, we're being honest, are we more prone to turn to other sources for help? At least initially. Maybe, maybe tempted to, to look for political or legal solutions as our first line of defense. Maybe clinging to our First Amendment rights as our first area to go to? Or maybe voice our complaint on social media in an attempt to, to rally support for our cause and to bring attention to the injustice that we find ourselves facing. Is prayer really the first place that we turn? And friends, whether it is or whether it, it isn't, the question then would be, like, if we are praying, what are we praying for? And do our prayers resemble the prayer that we see here from the church in Jerusalem? A prayer we see rooted in an affirmation of God's sovereignty. A prayer rooted in dependence upon the scriptures. A prayer rooted in a firm awareness of God's providence. A, a prayer rooted in a deep commitment to fulfilling the mission of God. Let's take a closer look at this prayer in our time together this morning with point one being how we notice how their prayer is rooted in an affirmation of God's sovereignty. Look with me at verse 24. They lifted their voices to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Meaning the first thing out of their mouth is what? an affirmation of God's sovereignty, a mental and verbal acknowledgement that God is the one who possesses absolute sovereign control over heaven, over the earth, and everything in them. Why? Because he made them. He's the creator. And thus, as creator, he is sovereign over his creation. He rules and reigns over his creation. Church, we can't forget this. As basic as this is, it is pivotal to our understanding of who God is. Can't forget that he is sovereign. Which means that while the chief priests and other religious leaders and Herod and Pilate carried out a great deal of earthly authority, do they not? Clearly had the ability, ability to back up their threats. They, 
they too, whether they recognize it or believe it or not, they are under the sovereign hand of our sovereign God. As they are among the created, as is your employer, as is your boss, as is our government, our families, our friends, everyone in everything, in all of creation, under the hand of our sovereign God. Nothing escapes it. And this is an important thing to remember, is it not? Because sometimes it's easy to forget this in, in the midst of life's trials, especially. Sometimes it's easy to forget this in the moments of timidity and fear. You get called into the boss's office, and they have a position of authority over you. They have the authority to level edicts and consequences and demands that can have real implications upon you and your family. But a firm grasp and affirmation of God's sovereignty is the mental reminder that there is no one with greater authority than God. No one. Everyone, no, no matter how much earthly power they wield, is under the sovereign hand of God. Thus the reason the church in Jerusalem opens their prayer with these words, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. It's a greeting or an address, yes, an opening to their prayer, an acknowledgement of who they're praying to, but it's also a reminder to their fearful and timid hearts that, that the God that they serve is bigger and more powerful than any foe that they may face, even if that foe is death. The same is true for us, friends. As the resurrection of Christ is the glorious reminder that there is no enemy or foe that we will ever face that is greater than our God. None. And when we, when we affirm this, not just with a, yeah, I believe that, but, but an affirmation of a, yes, I believe my God is sovereign over everything, including death. So he's sovereign over even the worst thing that could ever come my way. He is sovereign over this. What comes with that type of belief? Boldness. This is the bold courage of David fighting Goliath, is it not? I remember reading this to my son when he was little. We acted out or read the children's versions of it. And you read the little stories, and David's like, I may be little, but my God is big. So true. He is sovereign over all creation. And no matter how big the biggest person on this earth is in authority and power or whatever, they are little. They are little, little, little in the presence of our sovereign. And church, where is it that we are reminded of God's sovereignty over and over and over again? Easy answer, the Bible. The scriptures, 
the scripture is just telling us over and over and over again of God's sovereignty, which if you notice, their prayer is rooted in a dependence upon what? Scripture. Point number two. Consider what we've just looked at in verse 24. It's essentially a direct quote. It is a direct quote from Psalm 146.6, which in reference to the sovereign Lord reads, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. And then in verse 25 of our text, who, who being this God who created everything, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and then what's he do? They, they, the church goes and they quote David from Scripture, Psalm 2. They proceed to quote the first two verses of Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage? Or why did the nations rage? And the peoples plot in vain. Kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were, were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. And while this may seem confusing at first, just reading it through, it's like, how does this fit in? Where does this come from? Contextually, this is very important. Because Psalm 2 describes how the nations, how the peoples of the earth, the, the kings and the, the rulers, people high and low, plot in vain against God's anointed. With God's anointed referring to who? To Jesus. A reminder how all of Scripture is pointing us over and over and over again to who? To Jesus. Something the apostles in the church in Jerusalem now, by the work of the Spirit within them, are able to see. They're able to look at the Scriptures and see, I see Jesus here and here and here and here. And where I never saw him before, it's clear. All of Scripture is pointing us to Jesus. Thus, their quotation with the opening verses of Psalm 2 in their prayer. And the nations plotting against God's anointed, against Christ in vain. A prophetic word fulfilled for them in recent days. Like we're looking back, like this just happened for them. <laughs> they just witnessed the prophetic word being fulfilled with the crucifixion of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. Verse 27, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. So Jesus is the anointed one. And the king who plotted in vain is who? It's Herod. And the ruler is who? It's Pontius Pilate and Peoples are who? The, the Gentiles and the people of Israel. The prophetic word of Psalm 2 written by David so many years ago now fulfilled, revealing a, a clear, and clear dependence from the church in Jerusalem upon the prophetic words of Scripture. Meaning not only do they affirm the sovereignty of God, they are dependent upon the Scriptures to guide their understanding of God and his promises, as must we. As it's through the scriptures that we know who God is. 
It's through the scriptures that we know his attributes, his will, his, his love. The, the glorious good news of the gospel would not be known to us if it were not for the scriptures. All revealed, all of these things revealed through God's word. See, we look at the church in Jerusalem and we see the scripture like saturating their, their hearts and minds and guiding their prayers which is a very helpful and faithful way to learn to pray, by praying the scriptures. So it's taking a a psalm such as Psalm 2, even these two verses we have here, and just letting these guide your prayer. Here's an example of how. So look with me at what's quoted here in verses 25 and 26. Focus on that that text. And let's use it to guide... uh, a small prayer together. O sovereign Lord, your word asks, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? And if we're being honest, our hearts ask the same question. It feels like the world is, is attacking from every side. Employers pressuring employees to compromise. Pressure mounting to silence the gospel witness. The pressures to placate ever increasing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. And yet here is the reminder we need, O Lord, that if the leaders of this world would come against your anointed, they will certainly come against us as well. So while such trials are not something we desire in any way, help us to remain faithful like Christ in the midst of these trials. Help us not to compromise. Rather, help us to remember you are sovereign. You are king. And as your children, help us to walk in faithful obedience to your word no matter the cost, we pray in Jesus' name. This is an approach. This is an approach to prayer that has us using God's word to guide our prayers. And what better way is there to pray God-honoring prayers than just to pray God's word back to him? His word conforming our heart to his. Letting God's word guide our prayers. Like, not just saying the same thing over and over again, but having our heart shaped by God's heart. Have moments when you don't know what to pray. Anybody else ever been there? You just feel like, I don't know what to pray. (laughs) My well is dry. The scriptures never run dry. God's word never runs dry. Pray God's word. So as you leave today, not yet, but soon, you'll see a stack of books in the back entitled Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney. It's a great little book to help you learn to pray the scriptures. And it's our gift to you. So take one per family as of right now and I think we have about 50 copies in the back, 49 back there now, because I've got one right here. So if you need it, I'll give it to you. But that's our gift to you. Because as you pray the scriptures, 
and allow God's word to, to saturate your heart and saturate your mind, you know what's going to develop along the way? A clearer picture and understanding of God, of his will, of his attributes, his love, and his providence. God's providence, I know that's a big word, but God's providence referring to the working of God's sovereignty to continually uphold and guide and to care for his creation, which is a huge, huge help in trying to understand and navigate and to remain faithful in the midst of all the uncertainties of this world. Which is why, if you notice, point number three, their, their prayer is rooted in an acceptance of God's providence. Consider verse 27 with me again. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Which is an acceptance and an affirmation of what by the church? That the crucifixion of Christ, while carried out by the hands of these people, carried out with their evil intent, God planned and intended for good. God continually upholding and guiding and caring for his fallen creation through every detail of life. No more so than in God sending his one and only son to the cross to die. This was God's doing. It wasn't happenstance. It was predestined by God to take place. Isaiah 53 verse 10 telling us, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Yes, the earthly rulers, they levied the verdict. And they did so freely out of a great evil desire in their hearts to do so. Just like Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery did so out of their sinful hearts and their sinful desires. They did what they wanted to do. And just like every sin that we commit comes from the depths of our sinful hearts and our desires. Friends, no one's forcing us to sin. No, we are always doing what we desire to do, what we long to do most. Our sin, sins come from our sinful hearts. But what God's providence teaches us is that while we do what we desire to do, whether that is sinful or holy, God in his sovereignty is continually upholding, guiding, and caring for his creation every single step of the way. He's never not. Meaning God the Father sent his son to the cross by the willful hand of evil people to redeem sinners. Jesus living in order to die and dying in order to rise and rising in order to be glorified at the right hand of the Father where he sits now as our great high priest, praying for us, his church, interceding before the Father for us, his bride, that we may persevere in the faith no matter the cost. 
Thus, it's the doctrine of God's providence that is intended to provide great comfort. Not confusion, but great comfort in the uncertainty of this world. The doctrine of God's providence is, is how we know verses like Romans 8.28 are true. Romans 8.28 telling us we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things, referring to all things, even the threats of silence being levied by earthly rulers or employers, even the, the greater persecution that may follow, all working for good. The church in Jerusalem being reminded, even in their own prayer, that whatever may come, even if what comes is death, is working for their good. And guess what? They believe it. They believe it. And we, the church called Harvest Point Community Church, we are, are being reminded through God's word that whatever may come, whatever consequence results from our faithful obedience is working for our good. And it's worth the cost, even if we don't see it in the moment. Which is why, despite all the threats the church received, they remained committed to the mission that God had given. And thus why, number four, their prayer is rooted in a commitment to the mission of God. Look with me at verse 29 and how they prayed. And now, Lord, Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Did you hear that? Do you see that as you read it? Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. So despite the threats of their persecutors. They're praying for the Lord to give them the boldness to continue to speak Christ, to continue to preach Christ in the hope of the gospel, no matter the cost. But notice what they're not praying for. They're not praying for personal safety. At no point do they pray for the Lord to keep them safe in the midst of their persecution. At no point do they even pray for the Lord to deliver them from this persecution and make it go away. No, what do they pray for? They, they pray for the Lord to grant them the ability to continue to speak the gospel with boldness, no matter the cost. Which signifies what? A clear commitment to the mission of God from these very young believers in the faith. Reveals their commitment and desire to faithfully obey their sovereign God. Why? Well, one, because the resurrection of Christ and the receiving of the Spirit of God changed everything. They're like, the one who is sovereign over death has told us to go and make disciples of all nations. Thus, conclusion, 
we must obey everything he says, no matter the cost. This isn't an option to be considered, but a command to be obeyed. These young Christians get it. This is what it means to follow Christ. This is what following Jesus is about. We die to Christ. And then two, they understand Acts chapter 4 verse 12. And that there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. None. So they understand if people don't hear the gospel, they cannot believe. And if they don't believe, they cannot call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And thus the choice that they face. Faithfully speak and face the consequences that await. Or don't speak and deprive potential listeners from possibly ever hearing the truth of the gospel. Which is itself a form of reverse persecution, friends. Keeping the gospel from the lost and dying world because we are unwilling to obey the commands of our king. And this is the very dilemma the church in Jerusalem found itself in with imprisonment and death being the threat. And yet they're compelled to do what? (laughs) To speak the name of Christ, no matter the cost. But they needed what to do so? Boldness. They're like, we need more boldness. We can't do this. We need boldness. can't do this in our power. So where do they turn for their help? They went to the sovereign God who created them and who is over all of creation, and they prayed. And they asked for boldness. Not safety, but boldness. And then how did the Lord respond to their prayer? He responds by giving them boldness to speak the word of God. Verse 31, they are filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. They continue to step out in faithful obedience as they relied on the power of the Spirit within them and called sinful people to repent and to believe. And the church continued to grow. And church, it is my prayer that we will find ourselves faithful to do the same. That we may be a people who are more inclined to pray for boldness than we are for safety. That we may be a people who are more committed to faithfully obeying our sovereign God than we are to capitulating to the threats and pressures of this world. That we may be a people who are faithfully committed to the mission of God, no matter the cost. So I ask you as we close, other than our prayer time prior 
to this message. When was the last time that you prayed for boldness to share the gospel? No matter the cost. And if you're being honest, is that prayer the desire of your heart? If not, why? As this text forces us to evaluate our commitment, not only to the mission of God, but to God himself. It has a way of peeling open the true desire of our heart. Revealing the idols of our life. The commitments. The God's worship. So what does this reveal about you? What does it reveal about us? Let's pray. Lord Sovereign God, we come before you. Having opened up your word, seen the prayers of the church in Jerusalem, seen their dependence upon the scriptures to shape their prayers, or seen just a marvelous and humbling display of their acceptance of your providence, even when they don't understand the details of what's going to come, commitment to the mission of God. And Lord, I pray that we will be faithful to this mission. Your mission. That we forgive us, Lord, when we are so much seeking after safety and comfort. And where the slightest of threats can keep us silent. The the slightest of social pressures are enough to keep us from being the awkward one in a group. Lord, help us to be compassionate, but yet let us be bold. Let us be faithful to the mission at hand and trust in your sovereign hand, no matter the cost. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.